Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Black Women's Hour and we have a special guest which is Tara Stringfellow. Uh, before that I'm going to check in with Aisha. How are you doing Aisha? I'm good thank you. It's a day off today so that's literally a, one of the best days. Not actually at work. <laughs> that's always a good day. I worked eight <laughs> days in a row last week so yeah. Well, it's over a week isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Mm. It has been. It has been. So uh, we are interviewing uh, the novelist uh, Tara Stringfellow, who has just released her book Memphis, which I'm holding up with this hand without the broken nail. <laughs> um, yeah, so you're in England. Welcome to England. You. Uh, you had an event last night. So I'm asking, what do you think of England? You're having fun in London. Uh. <laughs> it's it's i haven't seen a, the sun i haven't seen trees like since i've gotten here i just want to see i just i'm i'm used to it being warm where i'm from and like happy people and i see animals and like birds it's like a disney movie and here it's very gray yeah. and everyone is very polite yes yes <laughs> But last night I had great food. I wish I remember the name of it. It was at the space in Peckham. Oh, it's in Peckham. That, am I saying that even right? I don't even know where yeah. I was. Okay, Peckham. It was a black space. So I was like, oh, thank God. And someone handed me some Jollof. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, and then I was fine. Like I was almost crying into the Jollof. <laughs> the, the red red like I used to live in Ghana so okay. I feel like London food is best when someone brown is making it you know I come yeah, here always. for the Ethiopian the Pakistani oh. food Indian food like that's great food but when I go to these like really posh places with really good looking white folk the food is, is you can't eat it it's <laughs> not Yes, I know. This is the thing, though, because they have all these diaspora wars online with uh, African-Americans and UK people, and then they'll show you a plate of food and go, this is what you lot eat. And we're like, who? Who eats that? Not us. That is white food. Right. That's why right. they're sending you a picture of spam and going, this is what you eat. And African, because we know African-Americans don't eat that. Do you know no. what I mean? Uh, yeah. Oh, again, oh, I just didn't hear you. Uh, you can like, like, combi hash. That's quite nice. What like, happened to you? No, <laughs> no, I, we're both like, what? No, I know. It's not me. Something went on off with your sound, Aisha. Sorry, is it not back? Yes, it's back now. Sorry, but I couldn't hear you. What did you say? I thought you were literally just genuinely completely bewildered and you were just like, oh. <laughs> No, I was. I was oh, when you said yeah. combi hash. I'm like, what? Yeah, no. call me hash. You know, you can spice it up, put some chili in it, garlic, yeah, onions. Talking about uh, spicing up English foods. Um, so I'm glad you got to see Peckham, though. Mm. Are you a single? Are you a single woman? Bit. That is my favorite bit of London, the black <laughs> that <laughs> area. Yeah, I love the that part. The ones they're trying to drive us out of. Um, no, let's are, are, you a, are you a single woman? Oh, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. are, are you you're heterosexual? 
guess so. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't make like to make assumptions. I don't know because no, the reason I'm asking is because I want to see what you thought of London black men. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, well, yeah. I mean, that question, if you asked me that question in Spain, I feel like the women there are still kind of limping. So after my, after I left, I used to live in Spain. So I don't know. In Spain, I am not heterosexual because Spanish women are something mm, yeah. more delicioso, you know, I, but um, I really uh, like the fact yeah, no, that side, I like men. No, stateside, and here I like men. I actually have a date tonight with someone. He's brown. He's a Sikh. Anyone brown, I'm a fan of. Like, oh, okay. you have to be tall, dark, and handsome. You know, like oh, that is it for me. Black is the best. Like, that's the pinnacle. But yeah. they're so elusive. I don't know. I see attractive black men around, and I'm like, come back. You know, be with me. But like, I. <laughs> Oh, the reason I was asking you is because of these online things yeah. that have just been happening. And there was this American woman and we were trying to warn them. And she saw some black men from England on Hinge. She changed mm -hmm. her location. I don't know what kind of spam uh, stars aligned for her to be fooled into thinking they're decent. So she was like, oh my God, I'm going to England. And we were going, sis, listen to us. Don't come here. Stay away from these men. They are freaking awful. Most of them on Hinge are married. So then there was this video and she was like, this is what Hinge said when I was in America. And then she did a film and she goes, and these are the men I met in Britain. And she's got a photo of her. No. Where she's going around these black British men and one of them's wearing sliders and socks. It was just so funny. And we were like, sis, we tried to warn you. So that's why I tried to get what your opinion was. <laughs> I just want to, this is my standard for men. It's so low. You have to have a, a job, a house, a car, because we need cars in America. We do. You have yes. to have a car, um, especially in Memphis, um, a passport, and you're vaccinated. That's it. Like, that's, and maybe you call your mom. That's it. <laughs> like, and I can't find that. So I yeah. don't know. I'm I'm I give up. I'm just gonna have a lot of fun, and exactly, and you know, <laughs> see what happens. So you're really well traveled. Then there's this whole stereotype that Americans don't travel, but you're saying you lived in Ghana, you've yeah. lived in Spain. Where else have you lived? Italy. Parlo italiano. Uh, hablo español. Je parle un peu de français. Étudier wow. français in lycée. I'm going to Paris on Friday just for the fun of it. Yeah. I, I, I travel extensively. Uh, I, it, I'm not sure why Americans really don't. And I grew up in, maybe that's why, I grew up in Okinawa. So I spent the first formative six, seven years of my life in a foreign country. Right. As like the only black girl on a little tropical island. You know, this- Were you a military child? Mm-hmm. My father's okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just, no, it's just a stereotype about Americans don't really travel that much and stuff, but. It's harder it was, for us. It's yeah. Harder. It's expensive. It's far away. Yeah. It's, it's just like, it's far away. Like, my, yeah, it's a flight to Ghana for me would be like 22 hours or something. So it's, it's just a longer commitment. Like, it's so much easier for y'all to travel. Yeah, like my flight to Paris is so short. Yeah, you know? so that's the only thing we travel a lot domestically, but even mm -hmm. like from 
for me to fly to LA. It's a good five hours, you know? So our country is just huge. So we kind of just stay, I think maybe that's why people stay in it. Oh, it's really expensive because I've got lots of family in America. It's expensive getting out of America. And it's, it's also America. Your, your holidays and stuff are mm -hmm. just, are, are not the same like work holidays. They really don't yeah. treat you well. <laughs> you have so much less holiday time than we have. Right. Aisha, hey. I'd like to ask what drove the traveling. I mean, obviously everyone wants to travel, but I mean, you know, you lived you lived in these countries. So yeah. that, that's different to traveling. What you know. Yeah, no, I prefer how to come about. Yeah, I, I would save up. So I was an English teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, I would save up like a 10th grade high school English teacher, taught sophomores, um, and I would save up my pennies, I wouldn't go nowhere, and I'd save up my little pennies all year, and then in the summers, I'd go to Cuba and live there, or Italy, or Spain, and I'd finish this damn book that we're all talking about, and that's how I wrote the book, it took me four summers to write wow. this. And that's I would the best way to write a book I think I've ever heard. It's and I would rent a house on it. I would do my own writing residency because I don't like the writing residencies. I'm not going to live with a bunch of white people in the woods. That yeah. sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> like, I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. My agent gets mad. My editor at home gets mad. I'm like, I'm not even going to apply. You can't pay me. Yeah. That is people, it. Like, that's a month in like upstate New York. I was like, where do you even get like, is my weed guy gonna deliver? <laughs> I'm like moving there. Sit there and make a vegan meal with everybody and write. Like I'm not doing that. I, I book I book homes on um beaches like right on the water by myself. It's very it's beautiful. And I speak the language, like I learned Spanish when I was in Spain. I didn't know a single word until I moved there. I find towns no American, no Brit, like no one speaking English. And I, I immerse myself in the culture and they just know me. They like, oh yeah, that's Tara, that's that writer. She writing some book called Memphis. And then they just, the locals just put up with me for a few months and I push a book out. Yeah, I never understood the writing residencies because I'm just, it's such a solitary thing. Like the process that you've described, it's your book. Why would you need to be around these weirdos, do you know what I mean? With like straw sliders. I have I have a degree in creative writing from Northwestern University. I'm not going back to school. Exactly. Aisha, sorry. Famously uh, locked herself, didn't she, in a cabin somewhere and wrote 97, is it? Drafts of I May Destroy You. Was, yeah, I heard she did that. Yeah, she was and just on Airbnb and like, and just pushed out a season or two. Like that's crazy to me. And um, amazing, amazing, amazing TV. I love. I worship her. I work like I'm gonna start building a shrine to her. Can I visit your shrine? Because yeah, it's, like it's, it'll, it'll just be like hair I don't know I'll just get like braiding hair I don't know but it has to be very black and beautiful for her but also Edward P Jones who wrote The Known World did the same thing he said I knew the story I had it in me for years and he rented some hotel room in New York I want to say Harlem he chose the black part or Brooklyn thank God and he pushed out his novel 
in like six to eight weeks. I don't think I could do it any other way. I mean, I've written shorter things. He saved up his money all year so he could afford to live in a hotel for that long. And that's what, and he just lived there, ate and did it. And I, I really, um, I applaud. I think it speaks to, and actually it's one of the questions was, I was going to ask you is about the, the writing process because it's really easy when writing to do anything else, isn't it? Do anything else like cook or like clean your skirting boards or pick up the phone and talk to a friend or just do anything or write anything else, you know, write an article instead of what you really should be writing. And it's interesting, like a hotel, you have everything on tap. It's not even like being in an Airbnb. It's like literally you don't have to wash your clothes. You don't have to cook. You just have to call and it delivers. And he was able then to really focus. Like, how do you find your process? You know, what do you need to do apart from being in another country? But, you yeah. know, how, how does your day look? Yeah, like at home in Memphis, I have a beautiful writing room. It's gorgeous. Um, I live in a beautiful home, much like the home in the book, an old Victorian. My home was built in like 1912. I believe, and I wake up real early. Well, the dog wakes me up at 6.30. We go for an hour walk. I come back, I have a cappuccino. And I sit down and I put on my robe again and I sit down at my writing desk. Uh, CNN is on in the background. And then I turn it off and I put on opera. Like while I'm drinking my coffee, I like to know what's happening in the world. And then I put on opera and I write. It's never really been a problem for me to do that and to be driven in that way. I don't get writer's block. I don't get distracted. I put my, I usually use my, leave my phone in the kitchen to charge. Like I'll, I'll, I won't charge it at night so that it has to be in another room charging. And if you just put it in another room, turn off the sound. You're finally you have, going. You <laughs> have actually created little ways. Actually, you're sort of saying, but actually listening to that, you've made ways, haven't you, of leaving it not to charge. And like, if it's charged, then it's there. And I yeah. Charge it next to me. I don't. I don't like my phone next. You can't have your phone really next to you when you're writing because people do. They, your mom will be like, "Hey," and I'm like, "Hey, mom." And you're like, or so you know, like you you're gonna want to talk to folks, you know. So I do put it in the other room. But here's the thing, and much like Hemingway, I only write until about 11:30 noon, and then I'm done. Unless I'm on deadline, I am like you. I'm really intense from like. 7-ish, 7.30 until 11.30, and then I get hungry. I make a huge lunch, like a big one. I have a long siesta. That's it. Like, And, and then I'll wake up, walk the dog again. Um, cocktail hour, I'll have my first glass of wine at like five, and then I edit what I've written. That is it. Like, And then I'm I'll send a few more emails. I'm done at six. It's kind of the life. If I'm on deadline, my siesta is a lot shorter and then I'll write at night until like maybe 8.39 and then I'm done. But I don't believe writing is so, and I'm not sure if you've had the chance to read this book, but writing, especially some of these chapters, it's so emotionally draining. Like I'm crying yeah. while I'm writing. You know, yeah. some of, you know, it's very emotional too. So I can't do that for eight hours in a day. Like I, I, I just, it's emotionally wearing for me like I love writing but sometimes I'm like hysterical I'm like this is beautiful <laughs> yeah like none of these mofos don't be able to handle this I'm like screaming I'm like yeah. twerking I'm twerking in the room like I stand up I'm like look at that pair of crap 
I'm like, bam. And I just sit there and look at it for a little bit. Like it's a whole, you know, it's, it's, it's exercise, literally sometimes physically exercise. So I can't do it all, all the time. Day. And my team is lovely enough to like work around that schedule for me. They know I need like a nap in the middle of the day. They're like, please don't call Tara at one. She doesn't like taking meetings at one. She's asleep. That girl's gone. I am really grateful that my team allows me to have that schedule. But uh, Spain taught me that. Yeah. So what kind of, obviously black women are centered in your book. What are they centered in your life? Is your team black women? Is like, is that what you tried to do? Because well, I don't know about you, like for me getting older and old, I just think, you know, I just want black women around me. <laughs> so much. Well, it's so important. Well, you know, and I have to say, I have to apologize. Like um, at the event last night, it sounds as, if, and I'm seeing it myself. It looks as if London is very segregated. You know, there, there, there are lots of people here. It's an international city, but it doesn't seem as if there are that many black faces. Like even at this beautiful hotel I'm staying at, Sea Containers, a lot of the workers and the faces are, of the workers are brown. But a lot of the patrons, when I was there, I was like, I'm the only black person in this bar having a, a nice cocktail. And I hate that. You know, Memphis, we don't have that. Memphis, mm. Memphis is a black city, you know, and, and a lot of restaurants and bars are owned by black women so I do feel like all like I, I feel as if I'm in a beauty shop almost all yeah. all the time so I'm very spoiled in that way I know the world is not like that that's why I choose to live in Memphis you know yeah. I want to be surrounded by black women like you said all the time and it must be so hard for y'all please come to Memphis and y'all are welcome say, when can we move to Memphis any <laughs> I mean, I think we're, we're more, we've got different areas where you'll find right. black, you know, I mean, we're segregated, but we're less than you guys anyway. Um, we're okay. like, including Asian people, we're three to 5%. Yeah, you guys are 13, right? Something like that. And then also- I'm going to send some cousins of them over here. Good-looking <laughs> <laughs> male cousins. Uh, all of them, all the string fellow men are really actually tall, dark, and handsome. Hello. So just after this, we can do a little hookup. Um, I'm shameless. <laughs> she is. I got some cousins. I got some cousins. I got an uncle. We can talk. <laughs> yeah. So, so when it comes to sort of black women, I mean, what is it you value most in your relationships with black women? Is it seeing sort of yourself look back is it the comfort they bring is it just you just feel safer because I tend to find like because we we have a unique place in this world Hmm. because we are black women and black people obviously are the lowest on the totem pole when it comes to racism and then you know because we even non-black communities of color still have their hate for us (laughs) So it's like, so we're very unique with that. And then also the fact that we're women and there's certain things that we are seeing, um, sitting on that intersection, the sexism we're getting from black men and the racism we're getting from white women. And we're just right on that intersection. Lord, your question. Okay, twofold. So why I love black women. I feel as if our interview, this call before it started, we just gone on, we started chatting, we was all late, we put on makeup. You can't do that. Like I couldn't do that with 
very well-meaning, liberal, you know, white sisters. I don't feel that sisterhood. We're we're sisters. We're tribal people. Yeah. Um, we're part of a diaspora. Yeah. You know, um, I feel a kinship with Black Londoners because y'all are y'all have been displaced, or your families have come here for a better life. So y'all have literally buttressed this country. <laughs> you know, like you make it run. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like I feel as if Black. Americans, female Americans make our country run. There, there wouldn't be a country but for us. And there wouldn't be entertainment but for us in America. Like mm. if Beyonce went away, yeah, America would shut down. They wouldn't know what to do anymore. Like white America too. And so the second part of your question, I have decided, even last night I was asked this question too, like, oh, racism and oh, nobody likes us. Screw everybody. Like, whatever i'm only doing blackness i'm only doing things for us i don't care what, what anyone else says and i if black men even don't like us oh okay bye like i'm done i'm just gonna do things for me i'm gonna do things for black women because no one really is like you said we don't have that many gifts for us that's why i wrote memphis yeah i wanted i wanted poor black women i wanted dark skin black yeah. I wanted full-bodied Black women. I wanted Black women who did not fit a, some sort of um, societal mold. I wanted dirty yeah. Black women. I wanted Black women interested in STEM and science. I wanted Black yeah. women interested in art and and entrepreneurs. Are so, like, there's so many entrepreneurs in here. There's a seamstress. There's a hairdresser out of their own homes they're running these businesses. So that's why I wrote Memphis because like you said, this world is so negative to us. So I just kind of tune it out, whatever. Like, I know I'm great. Yeah. <laughs> to tell me nothing. I was going to just reply to what you're saying about um, your comfort among other black women. I think we know nobody. And the reason why you wouldn't been able, felt able to put your makeup on or run late or anything with anyone else's, because you know there's no benefit of the doubt. There's no kindness, there's no warmth, there's no wanting good for you. And so anything that you do that crosses the line is gonna be met with, without any love or warmth. Whereas, you know, if you do it with him, you know that we're gonna be like, oh girl, you know, we get it. Yeah, it's like, oh my God, that's me or whatever. You know, when, um, uh, when I finally could get logged in, I ran and grabbed my lip gloss, no big deal. Um, but I was also gonna say the book is, there's a lot is drawn from your family experience isn't it so when you say you, you wanted to represent these women who are in stem who are fully figured um they're also representing your family history some of it and, and some of your family history was you know no wonder you're crying when you're writing i know wow yeah i come from i come from some good stock yeah. on both sides of my family like a lot of auntie august is made after i guess my auntie rita who is my dad's sister who is a um engineer um went to uh what's, oh they went to northern all my all my family went to northern it's a school um just north of chicago they're all huskies and uh she went to school at like 16 or 17. wow so, yeah so anytime i needed like um a piece about Maya being kind of a savant. I thought about my auntie Rita, you know, who I call and 
you know, and she's, she's beautiful. And my auntie Rita is dark skin and full figured. Um, my auntie Winnie is also tall. Like I have a lot of tall people in my family. My sister is beautiful. She was a runway model, my little sister. <laughs> so, and she's, and she's, um, she's lighter skinned, but full bodied. And I was just, I've always been surrounded by women of all colors in all sizes in all shapes and i've been blessed enough to live in a space in which we never made us each other feel less than yeah like i'm a very petite small person nobody might well they i mean they joke about it but nobody in my family ever made me feel less than for being and for being petite um and so that is that is a real blessing i know a lot of I consider myself dark. So I know a lot of dark women who don't have that same sort of warmth and experience in their own homes. And that is, that is tragic to me. So that's why I, I, and my editor actually wanted me to take out the paragraph with August being dark skin and talking about it. I said, absolutely. Like, nah, we put this in for the culture. I said, I don't want to hear it. She's like, is that what they said? Why would you? Mm. We put it, we leaving this in. Yeah, because I mean, the colorism in America is pretty, pretty shocking, isn't it? I mean, I run some spaces and stuff on Twitter and I sort of do comedy and stuff over here. So I don't joke about it. But when I meet African-American sisters and I make a comment about they're like, oh, my God, sis, thank you. Like, it's so awful. Mm -hmm. And uh, just last week we had a Twitter space. and it was me and actually uh, a beautiful, dark-skinned, gorgeous sister called Lavette Jallo. She's actually originally, um, heritage is Gambian, but she lives in Sweden. You said her la- last name is, um, I'm, uh, I'm going to stalk her. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Lavette Jallo. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll email you over stuff she's got. Oh my God, just okay. me and my sister watch her YouTube channel just to go, <sighs> she's oh. so gorgeous anyway but she, she's just absolutely brilliant and we were having uh so we're hosting this space called hey uh tinder swindler could he have fooled a sister right do you know what this low-life scrub african-american man did he waited so long because the space was busy a lot of people had opinions a lot of people wanted to say stuff and you know we were having a good time this man comes to a room, right, by black women, sort of for black women, and you know, other people could join. He waits until he gets up, and I mean, he waited a long time for this. Comes up to the stage and was like, ah, oh, the only people sort of let down uh, by black women are black men, because you all are nothing but tricks and hoes. You're nothing but thoughts. You know, she got him off, like that's all he got out of his mouth, and she cussed him, but. The African-American sisters in the room were like, welcome to America. This is what yeah. we have to put up with. Yeah, I I was thinking of that. I mean, I love black women. Like, yeah. like I would do anything. Like I have done anything. I have driven to Baltimore with my check engine light off for <laughs> Valentine's Day just from some attention from a Negro. So I, I will I will do for black men, but I don't understand why black men hate us so much. Like what other race of peoples of men are going around saying that they hate their women? 
Only black men. Japanese men are getting up on podcasts saying we don't like Japanese women. They do too much. They in these streets acting all wild. What Irishmen getting up there? We don't like our Irish women. Screw them. They can go. They can go drown in the sea. The English Channel for all we. What? 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 What Mongolian tribe getting up there and saying that we don't support our women? Like y'all are our kids. We are relate. We are in this together. Why are you yeah. gonna turn around and say you don't like me? Yeah. What? Internalized misogyny and racism. But I mean, we were talking it's about like, this the other day, no, weren't we? Literally. Under what other rate? Like white men, even in America, are getting up there like we can't stand Karens and Becky. They're not even saying that. They just like it's whatever. Like. Yeah. So I don't even, like, it's only really black men who are, and I, I do think, like you said, Aisha, it must be internalized colonization and leftover remnants of slavery designed to keep black women down, you know, black Fine, women. but they need to stop that now. Time is, grow up, you are big people. Do I look like, I was gonna say, do I look like your mom? But that is what they use as an excuse, isn't it? You remind me of my auntie. Do you know what I think it is? Right. right. It's like, well, drive to Memphis with your check engine light in a blizzard just for a text. From, like, yeah. maybe have a date with me. You can find out if I really am your auntie. You know? <laughs> I think it's, do you know what I think it is, actually? Now you guys are having this, I've never even thought of it. I think it's because they can't back chat their mum. I think it's great black mums are not having that we've got too much we're moving we're keeping it moving we've got things to do uh, because probably they can't answer back this uh, this is my only theory because i can't believe the man waited something like 45 minutes to call us home 45 minutes you took from your day to wait in the queue to get up on the stage to start screaming about black women like what is wrong and so is this you mentioned podcast because the podcast culture here yeah. You have got men up there who have got loads of black men have got these podcasts where they go up to talk shit about the women who've had they've had children with. Meanwhile, they're not even paying for the children. So is the podcast culture big there as well? Yeah, I don't listen. I think we should just take them off the air. Like I, I'm not ever going to go on any of these podcasts and argue. I don't argue with racists. And if that yeah. means a black man, that means a black man. Like, I don't have the time. I have too many degrees and too much money. I don't have to. Like, I don't I don't have to do that anymore. And I just think we should take them off the board. Like, if something is racist, take it off. That is, like, having a platform where you only talk down about black women. And because of our sexuality, it's always about our vagina, what we are or aren't doing out in these streets or whether we're covering it up or not. Like, well, the whole thing. I, I, there was a video in America, this restaurant, black owned restaurant, black man owned it, screaming at these black women for twerking at the restaurant. Yeah. Don't put a DJ. Right. Okay. You know, I don't know any, but any music and except if, if there's a drum beat, I'm going to twerk. I'm from Ghana. Like, don't play music then. Like, we'll sit in silence or we'll listen to opera and then, you know, nobody's going to be twerking. But don't, don't tell Black women not to express our natural selves and our natural African tribal ways that we remember. Twerking is a West African technique. 
and I really wish people would um, realize, like, when we express ourselves, I'll even, I'm going to get a little personal. Even my last guy, I had to break up with because he was always saying, you're too much. You're too loud. I was like, maybe you're not the fuck enough. Oh, gosh. I just got really one of those. Too much. Too oh, much. Honestly, it's too, oh, he was, too much. I have to be polite. Please stop telling yeah. me I'm loud. I yeah. am um, like, I am a scoffo. Yeah. I, we talk with drums. That's like how, and I used to live in Ghana. Like it's, yeah. it's part of, it's who I am. And I'm Southern. Yeah. Oh, like we like to talk. We talk through, he didn't like I was talking at the TV through the movie and stuff. I was like, well, I'm not going to just sit here in silence. Sorry. Oh, like, yeah. I just had one of those. It was like, oh, look at the way you behave. Why wouldn't you be nice? Sir? You need to be nice. Don't you want me to see the nice side of me? He goes, do you think you swear a bit too much? I went, oh, fuck off. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Why do they? <laughs> fuck I, out. I don't try to regulate men. Right. But they're always exactly. trying to regulate our thoughts, our bodies, our sex. Yeah. Literally our sex, like our vaginas. And I'm just, I just The don't most disturbing it. ones are the ones who are policing the daughters they don't have yet. Oh, yeah. Does your sperm swim? But yet you're talking about a daughter, and when you have your daughter, you're going to make sure she's not wearing any homeware. Meanwhile, you can't maintain an erection. What are you talking about? And I just want to say that there was rape when we were still wearing corsets. Right, exactly. Rape did not come about with the invention of the miniskirt. No. No, no, no. If that was the case, rape would have started in the 60s with the British invasion. Sorry, but that's when it would have started. So I don't want to hear that based on what I'm wearing, I can be attacked or not. Y'all were yeah. attacking us when we were in hoop skirts. So, it's, it's you're really in and you had to take off 12 layers. You took off the 12 layers. So I really don't, like, please stop blaming us women for what we're doing with our body like we're it's not it's not about yeah. what we're wearing we could be you could, we could be walking around in burkas and they yeah. would still please tell all those women you know in yeah. Afghanistan that they were you know right because of what they were wearing no yes. and I really, I really am sick of the victimization too right like it's somehow our fault why don't we ask the rapist yeah yeah what it is about us is that it's some rapey because <laughs> they're the I ones doing it um, I, I exactly wonder. anyway i don't want to waste any more time on stupid men um no. <laughs> so were you ever like inspired because when i was sort of uh i i only got the book yesterday so i've just been trying to go through as fast as i can and stuff but i was really love the fact that you were t t talking about black black women's joy and stuff and also black women's laughter because we saw over i mean talk about the ultimate policing i suppose you saw the incident of the women going to wine tasting on the train the group yeah. of black women in the states yeah for just i mean for for laughing we're not allowed to laugh now no when we're drunk right <laughs> we're on the like it's a drunk train the wine train i don't know I don't, I don't. Is there something, well, this is the thing. It's like, even if you're joking, you're just laughing. It's so bad. Over here, we have an expression. Go, oh my God, she was white girl drunk. 
Do you say that over there? Oh what? yeah, we say white boy wasted. Oh, white, yes, yes. Yeah, white we say boy white, wasted. Yeah. We say, oh, you frat, frat house wasted. Like something like yes. some white boys, some frat houses. Like that whole culture can be, and they can be as loud and as and as gaudy and as crazy as they want to be. But like, I don't know, black women as a group can't get on a, a drunk train and be drunk. They weren't hurting yeah. anyone. They were just, you know, chatting. I don't know. If there is, if if we start having laws a bit against like how loud you are, I should just, I don't know where I'm going to move. I don't know. <laughs> that that means if we start doing that, it, I don't know. There's no hope left. <laughs> You'll be with us, trust me, because she's got the worst laugh ever. Her laugh <laughs> filthy and loud as hell. So we, I'm with your mum. Her mum is gorgeous. We'll go to Peckham. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Peckham's got the show off. They've got the red, red. Like, we'll go to Peckham. We'll be loud. We'll get our hair done. We'll get our nails done. It's fine. Fine, everything. So, in that respect, when you were in Ghana, did you find it freeing? Yes. Like, being, was there any of that over there? Because we're both from uh, like Caribbean backgrounds. So, okay. I haven't been to Ghana. I haven't, um, the only place I've been is South Africa, which is tainted. That's the only place in the continent that I've been. So I'm dying. I mean, I see things from Ghana. Did you find as an African-American woman, you are much more free in Ghana? Yeah. I, it was like my life before Ghana, my life after. Like I learned so much in my mm. homeland. And like I, when I was there, it was way before a DNA test. So I didn't even know I was Ghanaian. I was just like, I am a Sopho. You know, like this is me. <laughs> like I was just claiming my yeah. blackness and my heritage. It was it was the most beautiful experience of my life to go home to my homeland, to see what it would be like, but for colonization. Like, oh, I come from here and it's gorgeous. And there's music everywhere. The food is delicious. When people yeah. tell me in America, like racist, go back to Africa. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. you got a black president every time. Like I am just fine. We're living free healthcare. Black president, the food is delicious. Yeah. I'm good. Like I could say I like it's I I encourage every black person across this world to go to your homeland, to go to where you think is your diasporic moment. For me, it was West Africa. It was visiting the slave castles. That is the only tangible piece of monument that I have for a connection with Africa and the fact that they open up those doors of no return and they push you out, but then they close it and then they open it and they let you back in. It was the most transformative experience of my life. And I was able to touch the doors of no return. And I knew some ancestor of, my, of mine had come through Elmina or Cape Coast Castle, like one of the, the odds. And to yeah. be there in that place of death, yeah. knowing that my ancestor survived they survived yeah. the passage and we're here and I'm here now and I came back to me it wasn't even about whiteness or white people or slavery or colonization it said wow look at how great we are oh, what yeah. other peoples what other peoples I'll wait what other peoples could come back and yeah. go home and it's it, it's it was the most amazing experience of my life 
you know? And I felt so utterly black and beautiful. And I yeah. don't understand for the life of me why other people don't see that. And they do. And see they do. That's the problem. Have they see it perfectly well. And that's what the problem is. I had wanted, I read Maya Angelou, of course, she spent lots of time in Ghana. And I, because I thought there's a place, I want to go, I want to go because she talked about being a six foot black woman. I'm 5'11, but so I was, she said there's a place she went and all the women started to cry. And uh, she was like, what? Like she, she was a bit alarmed. She didn't know what was going on. And then the, the guy that was with her who'd, who'd gone off to buy something came back and said, oh, they think you've come home because all the black women in that region are six feet tall. And so when they saw her, they went, she's come back like one of our, so every time it's so emotional. It's yeah. so incredible emotional, but it's also not just the surviving and someone who's also traveled quite a lot. What I notice about black communities across the world is we all kept something. We all have the, so like when you'll see these little things on Twitter going, oh, a black man will, every single one of us can pile in and go, yep. Oh yeah, they'll do, do you know what I mean? So I think that magic, taking our names, taking our, trying to take, well, they couldn't take our food because they need us to cook, but taking our names, taking our language, all those kind of things. And it's still, like you said, twerking, um, there's just still things that are just in us that are just so magical. I wouldn't change being black for the world. Not is, for the world. It is. Oh, it it is a privilege, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. It is a privilege. It is a privilege. So, I, yeah. I I mean, I'm so thankful to even be here and to have this interview with y'all and to like start my day in this very black in this beautiful magical way like it's it's you have no idea it's very cathartic I feel at home even though I'm here in London so oh thank you so it's much. really flattering we have there's a woman who wrote called um Ghislaine Kuani and she wrote a book called Living While Black you might want to get that one um she is really she did her first interview even though her book was so big and on the day of publication, she actually canceled everything but us. <laughs> and she just said, I want to do this with black women. Like, it's my first interview. It's an amazing, she's an amazing writer. I don't know if you're online. She's an amazing tweeter as well. So given well. that, what I wanted to ask you was, you had said there's a, your editor had wanted you to take out a certain paragraph. Mm. And obviously with the book and what we're speaking about, you're really close to your family as well. So... Is there anyone that could get you to take any part of a book out? If your mom or your aunt had said, listen, I don't like that, that, that oh, paragraph. No. Not no. them, not them, but my editor, and I have removed huge chapters of the book are no longer there. I had chapters um, in early drafts of the men, like Jack had his own chapter, Myron would have his own chapter, like, so I, I wanted to focus and then I rewrote it with just the point of view of the women because I wanted it to be centered around them. So there are a lot of, I'm sorry to say, a lot of great World War II scenes that are on the floor somewhere. And I would just write a note to my editor. I was like, next novel, I want war. And she's like, okay, okay, you can write a war <laughs> next novel, but not maybe here, you know? So um, yeah. I will do whatever my editor tells me to do for the best, to make the best book possible, really. Like, I'm not one of those artists who's like, no, I'm not gonna 
but I did stick to my guns on the colorism in the book, on the passages where dark skin was reveled. Like I wanted to make sure that was in there, even though my editor didn't understand. She's like, but if people are don't like black like dark skin then why would i'm like you don't have to i'm not and i don't feel like explaining this is the paragraph is staying here for the culture like you know like it's something i don't even i don't think i could articulate why it needed to but then she was brilliant enough my editor is a mixed woman but she's brilliant enough to understand like oh okay this is important and this is black and, and this is lyrical, so it's gonna stay in here. So my team, even though they're not all black women, I am so grateful to work with all women. Yeah. So um, my British publisher here, John Murray, I met all of them yesterday at the Hatchet Building and they were they were lovely. They sort of like, I've never had white folk be that nice to like in my life, you know. I walked in, they had champagne. I said, What for me? And I was like, so I I am so thankful for John Murray. Like I can't believe that this traditional British, one of the oldest presses in the world, would publish this very black book. I'm 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 still like in shock about it. <laughs> <laughs> like I am. So So there's so- nothing that your your family your family could say to make you take something out would there ever be any stories that you would think to yourself okay I might want to write that but it's got too much of uh, an auntie or something in it um so I don't think I could write it right now maybe in a few years time anything like that no you're just not reserved at all with anything that you write Mm. Aisha sorry you say something no I don't if it if it's necessary for the story, it's necessary. I don't think of it as like, oh, I'm gonna hurt this one person's feelings. Right. It's, it's a necessary story to tell. And I finished the book and I sent it to my mom and she read it in a night and she was crying the whole time. She's like, this is beautiful. My father read it and he's like, this is like, my father knows he's not, you know, actually Jack. He's like, it's fiction. You know, my father and I, t- before this call, I had a call with him. Like we talked every, he's my best, he's my favorite person on earth. Yeah. He's my best friend. You know, he's not a deadbeat. Like I was, I've, I was glued to that man. We're like each other's shadows. So, you know, that's not like uh, the relationship with Joan and her father in the book at all. And, and, you know, my mom has always been supportive of my writing and my art. In the book, Joan's mother is not. She wants her to do like a more traditional science route. My, my parents weren't ever. <laughs> So it, it, even though it's autobiographical, I can play with it. And I do tell like someone, like my parents, I'll say, you know, I had to make y'all kind of mean, otherwise no one would yeah. read the book. Yeah. And they, under, like, they understand it's a story. They understand the difference between reality and fiction. And they know this is my job and my yeah. calling. And they've known that I've been writing since I could write. And so I think they're they're used to it by now. It's not shocking. And they're like, that's just Tara. And she won't, she won't say something. Just let her do it. <laughs> Aisha, I, uh, I, was, I was going to ask actually whether your editor who asked you to take the passage about colorism out was black, but you said she's mixed. So. Yes, yeah, she's mixed. Katie, Katie Nishimoto, she's mixed. Um, she has Japanese heritage background. And I don't know which on which side 
But when I saw her name, like just the last name in the email, I saw Nishimoto. I said, she's my editor. I was like, I'm yeah. done. And I, I, I did because I, I grew up in Japan. Yeah, yeah. So it was like full self for me. I was like, oh my God. And even though Katie has not grown up, and I don't even know if she's ever even visited. <laughs> but just seeing, like, for me, you know, see, as a Black woman with this Okinawan background, just seeing a Japanese name in an email, I said, I'm done. I trust her. I said, I'm done. And I told her that. I was like, I'm sorry if I was a little racist when I selected you, but I selected you because you're like, and, and she is the most brilliant editor. Yeah. And no God could make women that brilliant. I'll yeah. say that. So okay. yeah, she wows me every day. And then my editor here, Becky Walsh with John Murray is a delight. I think the first time we spoke, she was asking for an author photo and she's like, can we use this one? I said, no, I don't. That's a wig and I want natural hair for my photo for y'all. Thank you. Please wait. I'm speaking to her. It was about yeah. hair. I was like, let me get some braids and I'll and I'll write y'all back. Let me, let me, let me, let me see what I, I gotta get some Bantu knots, something, an afro, something like to John Murray, like I'm like, Bantu knots, the first email. And she just wrote back, that sounds lovely, Tara. You let us know. <laughs> she thinks she had to Google. And 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 she's yeah, it's it's it is a blessing and a dream to work with my team and it might be because it's all women yeah maybe that's why but i think these particular women too there's just something magical about them i just called i call them team memphis and i love them yeah i, I love them did you so you speak about having an english editor and then your u.s editor did you have to make a lot of changes um between the u.s version and the uk version because i often will try to tell african-americans like the whole world is kind of u.s centric and when I'm speaking to an African-American person, there's just some stuff I will change as I'm talking to them. You know, I'm, I, you know, certain stuff that slang words, I can't think of any at the top of my head that you guys would yeah. use. Or if I know it means something different there or whatever, we immediately make the switch when we're having, you know, online discussions or something like that. And I was trying to say, look, this world is so US centric. So did they, how did you, the edit for the UK go? Was it just merely switching a few words or I, taking I, a couple references? You know, they, I worked with the editing process with my US editor. And then we just kind of sent that on to Becky in the UK as like, okay, here it is. And it's been a lovely, I feel like seamless process. I'm not, I haven't read all of the UK version, but I don't think anything is different from the US version. Like nothing, no words are different in this I don't believe and um yeah it's 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 been lovely and then this version if you buy it from Waterstones is that it Waterstones or yeah. it's like Barnes and Noble you have um a bonus chapter oh okay. bonus final chapter and it's in the voice of Miss Dawn okay so I will have to say y'all the Brits y'all are like the lucky ones because no one in the U.S. will ever read that extra chapter, like I wrote it specifically for Waterstones. So please, you know, Waterstones, thank you. And uh, for allowing me to do that, it was so much fun. I just wrote it like a few weeks ago. 
Yeah. Like it's very, very, very new. And it's one of my favorite chapters now of the book. So please go get that version. Yes, um, and I'm not sure when it will be out the Waterstones version, but I guess it'll be out on April 7th. Yes, it's April 7th. Yes. April 7th. Yes. Yeah. Go to water. We'll go anywhere, but Waterstones will have the secret chapter if you want the secret chapter. And pre-order as well, because it can make Kara relax. Pre-order it. Because you know, you don't want to just Mama be wants the house. Mama <laughs> wants the house. Aisha, yeah. Uh, are you doing any book signings? Where can people go meet you and talk to you and see you and get books signed and basically see more of this? Because, you know, you're a joy. Rub it in, Aisha. Rub it in. Refreshing. Um, Just for anyone watching, I, was, I am an idiot that thought this meeting and sit down with uh, Tara and one of our previous guests, Jen Della Benson, I thought it was tonight. So I'd written to the PR going, hey, can't wait till tonight and speak to Tara. And they were like, it was last night. I was like, sorry. But are there any more? Any more places people can catch you before Friday? Oh, here, here. Oh, my schedule. I don't know it off the top of my head, but I am going to lots of bookstores today all over London and I'm dropping off signed copies of the book. Okay. Um, Amazing. Don't. I'm sorry. I'll speak to your PR tomorrow. I'll speak to your PR afterwards. I'll find out where the signed copies are being dropped and I will let people okay, know. Yes. yes. And I'm sorry. I'm just so I'm unfamiliar oh. with the city and I'm just going from place to place. And I actually have to leave now. We went over. Yes. Getting, my taxi's coming. <laughs> Don't worry. Listen, okay. thank you so much for your patience. And uh, I'll wait for this to turn into a film. And just remember, six foot dark skinned black woman for just just in case for casting just you yeah. know <laughs> you were amazing i hope to talk to you all, all day thank I you so much. i don't want to leave this has been the best part of my trip honestly y'all in the joloff rice yes last night i've been like oh my goodness no and y'all are welcome down in memphis and we're coming we've heard oh, about your cousins coming. and your brothers we're coming yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Bye, y'all. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.